Imagine your child has turned 18 or is past that important age, and you discover you no longer can access their medical, financial, and school records, and more importantly, may not be able to help them in a medical emergency. What can you do to fix it? That is what we cover on this episode of Music to My Heirs. Music to My Heirs, the podcast that discusses generational wealth and wealth in general. Welcome your host, Stephen Lewis. On this month's episode, my team and I went over to the law offices of Galligan and Manning to meet with attorneys Mary and Michael Galligan. Mary is a board-certified trust and estate attorney who started her career with Butler and Binion before moving to her own firm in 1997 with Tammy Manning. Michael Galligan joined the firm later after graduating from the University of Pennsylvania and South Texas College of Law. Mary and Michael's business and personal relationship make them the perfect experts for this month's topic. Mary and Michael, I am so happy we got a chance to sit down today because I feel as if you're uniquely positioned to talk about this topic. And Mary, I'm going to let you explain why you're uniquely positioned. Well, thank you, Steve. Um, I am the mother of Michael Galligan. Okay. <laughs> and so I have had the experience of having an 18-year-old uh, go off to college with all of that trepidation that a parent feels. <laughs> and, um, and then all of a sudden to realize, oh my goodness, um, he's going to be out of the state. And if, heaven forbid, something happens to him like a, a, a car accident or some other medical emergency, he's an adult now and I have no right at all to make a decision for him or to even find out uh, anything that's happening to him from the medical side. Well, and it's interesting, this this subject started with us in a meeting with a family, not dissimilar where you were at that point. They were looking at their children now going toward college and they said, what should we be thinking about? And we were saying, okay, we've got the 529 plans. Let's think about those things. Um, I referred back to the second episode on Music to My Ears where we said, what are the financial mistakes college students make? We talked about those, but maybe serendipitously, I had received an email from Michael about make sure when your kids turn 18, you're thinking about these things. And I thought, we need to bring this to the audience and explain it. So I bring that family over to you. Mm -hmm. And they say, I've got children turning 18. Help me go through the things I need to go through. What's the first thing you say they should be looking at? Well, I think the, the fundamental thing to understand is that age 18, that is a big threshold. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, they have that child will have all the rights of an adult. They are an adult. Mm -hmm. And so anything that you would have been privy to before, you're really no longer going to be privy to without specific authorizations from that child themselves. And so we've got a, a few documents uh, that we generally advise any client that we meet with to, to have these in, in place, but it's particularly important for these new adults to have them in place so that they're the people they want making decisions and the people they want having information are going to have access to that information. And so the first one that we usually uh, start off with is the, the medical power of attorney. So explain the medical power. Yeah, the, the medical power of attorney, and the reason why we say that's the most important thing is because that's the document that will give 
a person the ability to make a medical decision for the child, and I say child because even at 18, you still think of them as your child. Um, but, be, but be able to um, to make the decision if if the child is unconscious or unable to make that decision himself or herself. And so that's the most important thing uh, at all. So Mary, how does that typically work? You're, you you come into a hospital. God forbid your child is not able to speak. You can't just simply say, look. Here's my driver's license. I am the parent. I pay their, by the way, I pay for their health insurance and they're on my health insurance. They're a dependent. I'm not able to just make that statement and be able to direct the doctors. Well, now, and, and, and here's the other tricky thing is, is it also, uh, who has the ability to make a medical decision for another person if there is no power of attorney depends on state law. So okay. your child could be in another state. So when, when I went to college, I went to, uh, to Pennsylvania. So who knows what the rules were? I have as no far. idea what the rules are <laughs> right. yeah, in Pennsylvania. Right. But, but, it's the, but there is, you're right, under the law, there, there, there is an order in which people can make decisions. But part of the problem is the bureaucracy because you, you're, in a, you're, in a, you're in a very pressured situation. Uh, time is of the essence. You don't want to be running through the hospital bureaucracy where they're saying, okay, now, who, who can make the decision? Who can do this? You know, you're wasting precious time. So that's why these documents are so important. I mean, chances are, as the parent, you probably are in the first position to make that decision for your child. But you're going to go through a lot of hassle before you get to that point. A lot of hassle that you don't want to be having at that moment. And could easily be avoided. It could easily be avoided, yes. So get that solved. Get a power in place for the medical decisions. And by the way, just a little pivot on this. This isn't the, I have the right, this is where people get nervous, I think, when you say, you know, this medical power. I have the right to pull the plug if somebody, that, right. that's a totally different right. situation, right? Well, you know, is, is that a different document? The, the, the medical power of attorney is, is a document that can be used if a person cannot communicate a health care decision. They're unconscious or otherwise unable to, to make that decision. Now, it can give power to make decisions, those end-of-life decisions. You can, but it, that's not necessarily the only thing. You just can't communicate. So you could have a bump on the head and be unconscious mm -hmm. and then the power of attorney would kick in now the document I think you're referring to is the directive to physicians which we call the living will which is a separate document that says if I am you know certified to have certain conditions I don't want my life prolonged by artificial means and you know whether or not a child wants that or not I mean in my opinion mm -hmm. that's probably all not all that necessary right now because we're just dealing with um, emergency situations and the medical power of attorney does give the agent the power to make those decisions anyway. So that, that's why I say the medical power of attorney is the most important one to have. And all these things are generally separate from what you might call a, a do not resuscitate order. That's, that's something oh, that yeah, pe people come into the office saying, oh, you know, I want to do not resuscitate order. And it's like, well, no, you, you probably don't. Not, not at this point. Not probably. at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's why, yeah, the medical power of attorney is the most important thing for, for the child. And I like that we're, we're, we're starting to introduce them to the documents as they're getting older, but things like the, uh, the directive to physician, if not necessary, maybe not now. I, I like that, right? Let's, let's bring them up as time comes. I think 
one of the other forms I've heard you talk about that ends up being one of those ones that is a decision to be made mm-hmm. when you're becoming an adult is do I also allow my parents the access to my medical information? Right. The form again for the, that. Yeah, the HIPAA release. The HIPAA release, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you counsel uh, both? How do you counsel the parents? And then how do you counsel the new adult on thinking about the HIPAA release? You know, from the student perspective here, uh, I, I think it's very important for everybody involved to understand that in this instance, the client is the child. It is not the parents, and so we're going to, we as attorneys are going to take our marching orders from that child. Now, to your question, which is about how do we counsel folks, uh, really, I mean, it ends up being a matter of sometimes practicalities, you know, who's going to be around uh, wherever that that student might be, uh, and and, and might be in a position to actually get that information in, in a you know, has, has reason to, to receive it. Um, but then also, you know, we, we see plenty of instances where uh, a young adult is kind of flexing their muscles and saying, okay, you know what, as an adult, I'm going to make some particular decisions and that's, people are just going to have to live with that. Doing that in the HIPAA authorization, though, I think is a little bit more gentle than doing it in the medical power of attorney. And generally speaking, the medical power of attorney is probably where, you know, most of the uh, uh, decision-making power is, is is left. The HIPAA authorization is access. I don't know. You you, you met with some some clients recently. Well, it's it's it, the HIPAA authorization, and that's where it does get a little bit awkward because you do have the parents who feel that they're paying for the child to go away to college. They're they're paying for all this. So why why don't they automatically have access to all the information relating to their child? And um, and a lot of times the children maybe do not want their parents to be able to have access to their health records or medical records while they're at college. Um, So this is, what I like to encourage at this point is is communication between the parent and child. Now, bearing in mind what Michael had already said, the child is your client, so, I mean, technically we're not even able to tell the parents who the child Mm -hmm. has named, but... Or if if they've actually signed the HIPAA release, right? Exactly. So, I mean, because the child is the client and it it, it it is very private. But we can't encourage everybody to talk. Yes, but... At this point, the the children and the parents should get together and probably talk out these issues and, and, you know, discuss what's important to both of them. So what's the next document you would want to see put in place? So uh, I think we'd be looking at a financial power of attorney. And uh, the one that we work with most often is called a statutory durable power of attorney. Statutory because it's taken almost directly out of the statutes having to do with, with powers of attorney here in Texas. And it's durable because it is not affected by subsequent incapacity. And the reason we, we want that is because we want this to be in effect if, for some reason, you're unable to make your own uh, financial decisions. Uh, and now, this one, there's a little bit more flexibility built into it than you get with the medical power of attorney. Medical power of attorney, it's, you know, you get to make your own healthcare decisions until you can't, at, that, at which point we start looking at who you've named as uh, the, the folks who will make these decisions. But the financial power of attorney, you can choose what powers your agent has. Uh, You can choose when they get to exercise them. You can say, you know, I don't really want anybody digging into this information. I don't want them having this access until 
I can't access it myself. Or they may say, you know, it really would be nice to have an extra set of hands, maybe a set of hands that is familiar with management of assets and, and, and knows what they're doing. Uh, and so we can we can let them act right off the bat. But again, comes down to what the client wants. And in this case, the student is going to be the client. And, and a lot of um, young people may think they don't need a financial power of attorney because they don't own anything. But if you really look at it, maybe they've got a car, maybe they've got a vehicle that you know needs to be registered right. or you need to get insurance on it. or And, and then there are other um, powers in that uh, power of attorney and it, it deals with getting financial information because uh, you know the student can give another person the ability to handle uh you know, and I, I I loosely call them business affairs, but you know maybe they got to talk to insurance companies. Maybe mm -hmm. there are other things that aren't necessarily related to owning stuff, but filing tax returns, filing tax returns, right. things like that. So that's where the financial power of attorney is probably the third document that I would suggest. So that leads me right into the question. You said some assets. Maybe there's a car. Mm -hmm. Maybe do they need a will? Does an eighteen-year-old? need a will. Now this is where uh, you start looking at what does a will do? Okay. And what the will is supposed to do is transfer assets at death. And it's basically there so that a third party like a title company or a bank uh, knows that they're giving the assets to the right person. Now, if you don't have to go through a third party like a title company or a bank, I mean, if you've just got a bunch of um, books at home or if you've got, you know, baseball trading cards or something yeah, the, the, like that. The, she's, she's just <laughs> describing what was in, you know, my closets. Uh, but yeah. Uh, then, <laughs> then, you know, you probably don't need a will to transfer that because you don't have to convince anybody that, that those assets are going to the right people. But if you have a vehicle, if you've got... Um, uh, you know, a bank account, then it may be good to either have a will or have some other arrangement that transfers those assets at death. And, and you know, heaven forbid, we don't are expecting this to happen, but you, you know, you, you, you don't want to run through the problems that that could create. So something like beneficiaries. I mean, now we're able to do um, beneficiaries on um, vehicles. We can do beneficiaries on bank accounts. So really, there are ways, but I think the, the, uh, the goal here is to make sure that those issues are addressed right. in some fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and I think we end up saying this quite, quite a lot. Having the conversation is a victory in its own right because you can explore these issues. And maybe we go with a will, maybe we don't. It just depends on what the situation is, but we can't actually address it unless we sit down and have the conversation. Well, and that fits so perfectly with the way that we educate families and the way we create success. One of the first things we talk about is the importance of being able to introduce the financial advisors, the legal advisors, and the tax advisors to the family early on. And, and by the way, 18, what a great milestone to say it's time for you to meet the family team. Sure. And have your first discussions about your wishes yes. and what they may do and put those documents in place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So maybe as a quick recap, I'm hearing uh, medical power pretty much a must. That should get done. It makes all the sense in the world. My 18-year-old needs to get that in place. Yes. And I'd say that eight, your 18-year-old, your 20-year-old, right. your 45-year-old, <laughs> your 80-year-old, anybody. Right. By the way, great question to ask 
an older child mm-hmm. that you haven't addressed and their spouse. Hey, have you guys gotten this in place? Yes. You you just don't want to uh, put yourself in a situation where you don't have absolutely yes. potentially the HIPAA form, assuming that the 18 year old is agreeable and either they're naming a parent or maybe another family member, somebody they're comfortable, or maybe not, depending on. Right. I, I mean, I think it would be good. I, I think all things considered, it would be good to have the HIPAA. And it's just that everybody has to understand that the child is going to be in charge of who gets to access their health care information. And then um, a financial power, mm-hmm. which can have, as you said, Michael, a latitude of only if this, all the way to, oh, by the way, I'd like you to take care of some things for me. Right. So I'm going to increase it. Any other thing that you'd say, let's make sure we think about this? You know, it's probably worth at least addressing with this student uh, how much access they want their family or whatever trusted person it's going to be, how much access they want to give to their academic records. You know, we're, we're talking about this in the context of somebody going off to college. Well, like you were saying before, uh, those rights are not absolute for parents, even if they're the ones paying for that education. There's something called FERPA out there. It's the uh, Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. I had to write that down because I just I enjoy saying FERPA, so sometimes you forget what the, <laughs> it's behind the acronym. But any schools in the United States that are receiving federal funding are subject to this law, and it prevents the sharing of this academic information unless there's some sort of authorization by from, from the student. Uh, and so here's another conversation that you get to have with this person. Do you want your parents to be able to see your transcripts, to be able to see your class schedules, uh, to know essentially what is going on with your, uh, your academic career? Um, and again, I, I think you know, it, it's, it's a conversation worth having. I think there are plenty of reasons to, to recommend it because, again, your parents are probably going to be your allies and your advocates. So sharing this information is, is likely going to be helpful. But ultimately, it comes down to what the, what the child wants. You know, I think about that in, with, with kids in high school, the amount of information now. I have an app on my phone that tells me everything that's going on, yes, right? So and you I, get yes. accustomed to that, right? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I've been checking mine religiously. Right. Uh, my, my son, he's eight, year old, he just, he's eight years old. He just had a spelling test. Right. <laughs> I need to know the results of the spelling right. test because he said he thinks he got them all right, but... Who knows? Right. It hasn't shown up on the app yet. And, and all that stuff seems to be there. I would I would assume, first of all, I think it's a great piece of knowledge. I, I would have assumed I had rights to those mm-hmm. records because I've become accustomed to it. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I think my first inclination would be to say, hey, can I just have your login? Right. Which I think in a lot of cases, right? Well, and you know, that actually raises a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. Can I just have your login? Because, you know, we just talked about a financial power of attorney. Now we're talking about this uh, uh, authorization for academic records. You can authorize access to this information, but practically speaking, if there's not a way to get to it, it may not work. So, really? so you know, if, if I give you authorization to access my phone, you know, like legally, but you don't know my password, you don't you know, you have my fingerprint handy to plug on, on, onto the, the screen, you're still not going to be able to get into that device. And so I think that, that's yes, yes. A, Having a practical ac- consideration. A practical consideration is access to passwords. 
because you don't want to lose all those photos. You don't want to lose all those memories. Uh, you don't want to lose the financial information that right. uh, might, right. might uh, not be available if you don't have the passwords. Yeah, and I think that's, a, that's a, another subject that's so interesting is that this, there's digital assets we all have yes. now, right? And our kids have them. There have been some famous situations where parents wanted access to either Facebook pictures mm-hmm. or things just as information after a child had passed yes. and they find out they have no rights to those right. things. Exactly. Or to your point, if you have the right to it, not having... The password. I mean, isn't Apple somewhat famous for not, if you, not releasing the password? So yes, yeah. So it was the San Bernardino shooter. Uh, I remember that instance yes. where I think Apple said we'd have to break into our own phone in order to access the, this information. Which, yes, you are entitled to. It's just we can't get to it. I guess they, they figured it out somehow. But so practically speaking, yeah. some way to be able to uh, access that information. And I imagine there's a few listeners thinking, my 18-year-old daughter or son is not going to be really high on the idea of giving me the password. (laughs) What I think I would recommend, I'm thinking about this, is to say, do me a favor and think about somebody, a cousin, or somebody that you trust and say, listen, just give them that saying... If something ever happened to me, I want you to have this. It's not something I necessarily want my parents going in and seeing, mm-hmm. but somebody. Yes. That way you have that access. Yes. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a, a tricky area because, you know, the, the solutions change over time. Uh, I, I remember there, there were a slew of, web, of websites or uh, applications that had a dead man switch where if you didn't answer it in a certain period of time, it would release passwords to a trusted person or you know, databases where you can keep passwords. But the technology keeps on changing, so whether that's something people want to do or not, that likely also continues to change. Um, yeah, so, uh, again, we keep coming back to the same thing. Have the conversation. Let's see what people are comfortable with and, and what they, they want to, to have done. And I think that's a great place for us to kind of wrap it up is have the conversation. Conversations always bring more value. Uh, allow our next generation to take that responsibility to be 18, to be an adult. But it's our job to make sure either as advisors or as parents that we're educating them on what the responsibilities are when you're 18 yes. and the types of things that you, exactly. you need to be doing. Exactly. Thank you for uh, going through this with us today. For the listeners, if you've got a question similar to this or in any other subject and you'd really like us to sit down with an expert like Mary and Michael and get it answered for you, all you have to do is email us at stephen.lewis at bernstein.com. Please subscribe to the podcast. Share this episode with anybody that you think is thinking about this for their child because it could be the information they really need to make a big difference. And I just want to thank you two again. Really appreciate you spending the time with us today on Music to My Ears. Oh, well, thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure. Thank you. This has been Music to My Ears. For more information on this podcast or to ask a question, just email us at stephen.lewis at bernstein.com. Music to my ears.